So how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Today's doing an okay all- day? Yeah, today's an okay day. I'm I'm here. So it's it's a great day. <laughs> Tick that box, yeah. right? I got out of the house. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm Jamie Dew, and this is a show of strength. Hey, it's Jamie here, and welcome to a show of strength. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. We've got a really great guest in Emma Moore, who I sat down with a few months ago and talked about mental health. So I'm going to roll that interview just shortly. But before that, let's hear from our sponsor for today. Looking for a more authentic movie-going experience? The Review Cinema, established in 1912, is an independent, not-for-profit, community-run cinema that continues to bring a variety of film and culture to the city of Toronto today. Located on historic Roncesvalles Avenue, The Review has a mix of the latest Hollywood films, documentaries, silent films, and your favorite old classics. Visit www.reviewcinema.ca to see our full program. Or drop by to see for yourself. The Review Cinema, projecting all possibilities. sitting here in the Toronto Reference Library with Emma Moore and you know we're just talking mental health so Emma talk to me about when you first became aware of your mental illness um definitely when I was younger probably started in kindergarten for sure yeah um i had a lot of separation anxiety from my mom and i would always be like that kid that would cry and want my mom when like the the bell rang and i just thought oh i just i really love my mom (laughs) and it turns out (laughs) that it was actually like separation anxiety that i was having and um just like social situations started to really agitate me and make me feel uncomfortable and I didn't know why. Um, So eventually it led me to go and see a a child psychologist. And um, how how old would you have been? Probably eight was when I actually got to see a a child psychologist. Um, And yeah, I knew that like there was something different about me. And at that point, I was medicated, and I gained a lot of weight. Like, I I became really plump and unhealthily gained a lot of weight, Um, which made it even worse because I was having social anxiety to begin with. And being, you know, a girl, too, on top of that, like, adding that element to it was just, like, super crappy. Um, So, yeah, just, like, all through school just was a really awkward crappy time for me and then high school came about and um yeah it just kind of like spiraled from there for me and became worse my social anxiety became a lot worse and there were um you know issues that came up in my life too during high school that were you know difficult times and um I kind of like brushed them to the side and didn't really deal with them properly And I never, like, sought help or anything for them. So I was just kind of, like, going with the flow. And I thought it was normal to be abnormal a bunch, you know, amongst people, I guess. So the the therapy that you got as an eight-year-old, how long did that continue? You didn't do that in high school Um, or later on? I didn't do that. It was kind of like a sporadic thing. It was off and on because I stopped attending school for a while. Um, so that's in, when in elementary or high school, 
in elementary school. Oh. So there was actually like a time when a truancy officer came and was like, oh. you're not attending school. What's going on? And um, that was a difficult time imagine, too yeah. because I, I was just like, I didn't want to be around people. I just, that just made me feel so uncomfortable. And my mom was really nice about it. And she would even like fib for me sometimes. She'd be like, oh yeah, I let her stay home today. Right. <laughs> and I could see like what that was doing to her. So eventually I went back and I did pass like grade eight and make it to high school. Yep. But I just like passed by the skin of my teeth. Like I made it to graduation. I think just because they wanted to get rid of me, to be honest. <laughs> but <laughs> I made it to high school. <laughs> <laughs> and but this trouble followed you to high school so it yeah was, absolutely was attendance an issue there too or did you find that because high school you get you know sort of access to different kinds of programs that, that you gravitated to you know different things that made you want to be there more um, or, or no yeah it was kind of like a, a mixed bag because I was an identified student. So um, as an identified student, you identify as somebody with a disability, whether it be a learning disability, what have you. It could be anything. Um, so that identification carried through. So I was in um, like special education math and like um, remedial like type courses. Gotcha. Um, which was helpful, but it was also like really counterproductive for me because I was trying to socialize with people. And in those classes, you do kind of get like, oh, you're in the special class or. Absolutely. There's a stigma. Yeah. yeah. So you're dealing with like at this point now you're dealing with, you know, stigmas of stigmas in, yeah, in a sense. Totally. Totally. So that was, um, that was difficult, you know, like it, that was, that was trying, but, um, I then like became really interested in cooking, so uh, I transferred schools, and um, I did the culinary arts program for a while, which is really good. Um. So, <laughs> how, how do I phrase this? I mean, did you find that that helped quiet the? I, I I'm, I'm making the assumption that you have like a lot of negative self talk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I'm sitting here doing it right now. You're probably identifying it. <laughs> it's so strange that you can have this voice that sounds so familiar um, coming through your headphones now, <laughs> yeah, right? I know. And it's like, it's this voice that is just such a prick. Like, it knows your innermost secrets and it will exploit them at a moment's notice. Like, yeah. to make you feel like absolute, uh, absolutely worthless. So... I'm curious when you found that you liked to do that, mm -hmm. that brought you to school and did that quiet those voices at all or, or um, was it helpful or therapeutic in any way? The cooking in the chocolatier program that they had you was tell me about the chocolatier. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, that was, that was a really great program, but where I eventually like found my niche was actually in the library and being a library monitor really in high school. Yeah. And it, I volunteered the summer before the high school opened. Okay. So I would be used to it because I was anxious about going to school to begin with. Of course. Yeah. So it was a good way for me to just kind of like glide into it a bit. You got to dress rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. So that was nice. Um, and I got to get to know like the collection there and, um, I even did stamping and stripping books and like, you know, the magnetic strips you put in books yeah. and learning all of that process and how to check out a book. And so that was really cool. The Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> this is interesting for me and uh, bear with me on this when I, when I go here, I feel an inner calm when I watch people um, do orderly things. Mm -hmm. If I see somebody organizing something, like if I'm on the subway train, once I was on the subway and this woman was a winding a ball of yarn. So it was all tangly and icky over here, but she was winding it to make it well. And I missed my subway stop because I was so <laughs> transfixed. It, it makes me feel calm. Everything shuts off. I, um, if I'm sitting in a cafe and somebody's sweeping, same thing. I just feel like, oh, wow, this is, it's not, 
it's uh, I don't think about it as hard as I'm describing it right now. It mm-hmm. just makes me feel calm. Did the library do something like that for you? I, I just imagine that it's a quiet place. It's very orderly. Things are organized. You know, it's it, there's no chaos in a library, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. And it definitely like I was continued to be drawn to the library, like even through university, because that's where my student um, position was at OCAD for like a really long period of time, which I recently, because I'm graduating this year, unfortunately ended. But it like being a part of that community too in their library, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing and so supportive and like And OCAD calm. is the Ontario College of Art and Design? Yes, yeah. And you were in what what program? Uh, drawing and painting. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And how, how many years is that program? Um, it's a four-year program and I finished it in eight. <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Honesty. I, yeah. <laughs> Honest hey, I you know I went for a three-year degree at York University, and I I got invited back for the fifth year, and I bailed on it. But um, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. It would have taken me six years to do the three-year degree, mm-hmm. and I, I was just like, I can't do this. So yeah. Um, that's really there, there's there's perseverance there. There's Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of people would bounce after after six or something like that, you know? Yeah, and there was a time when I did bounce. Like, I did leave OCAD, and I tried to pursue something at George Brown College, and I was doing foundation arts, and I thought, well, if I'm doing foundation arts, why am I not just finishing the degree I started in the first place? Like, it didn't really make sense, but I think it also had to do with the umbrella of university when you think of that you think of very academic you think of the pressure of like getting a degree whereas you think of college it's like oh I'm learning skills to go out into the workplace immediately so uh, I mean not that there's you know anything bad with either or for me it was just the idea of the pressure of going to university that was really intimidating to me at the time so I think that that made me check out of that experience i can't believe how much i relate to what you're saying so yeah there was something there for me and um you know going to school for art is different than making art for yourself or making art for wellness and that's something that i've recently learned um you know when you're doing like an academic kind of art or like a thesis um for me there was a lot of pressure in it and there was a lot of like oh, if you, you know, you don't have this like um, thesis that totally matches up your work, then really your work is meaningless or it doesn't really matter. And that was kind of like the fault of mine, I think, in that process. Um, But like, I'm glad that I finished my degree. But now for me, it's really trying to like find a way that I can express myself through art that's both beneficial to all the skills I learned and um, to myself, too. So doing my degree justice, but also doing myself justice at the same time. Uh, yeah, I heard you say drawing for wellness a minute ago. That, yeah. That really stands out. Like, what what do you mean by that? Um, well, when I had a, a hospital stay, um, uh, there was an art room. And at that point, I was still doing my thesis and... I just couldn't like touch art. Like it was just something that was like, this is way too much pressure. I can't deal with it. Um, But I don't know if anybody else has had the experience of mandala coloring books or like doing the coloring book apps or things like that. And that's, those are like the really fine, like uh, actually explain. (laughs) They're just like basically adult coloring books, but like not the dirty kind. There's dirty adult they're, coloring books? They're, they're out there. Oh, wow. All right. uh, um, so, yeah, they're, they're detailed drawings or, like, um, just line illustrations of, like, contemporary paintings or whatever. They're like, you name it. You could Google it and find one and just print it off and, like, color in yourself. And it's, at, like, I found it very, like, relaxing and therapeutic. And also just being in that room, being with other people who didn't have the expectation of, like, making this huge painting that was going to be like the pinnacle of like their university right. career. And you need like, to explain the context of it and yeah, right, absolutely. Make, it, make it shape to the rest of your work. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you did that during a hospital stay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, about what, what brought you there? Um, sure. Um, so I, from what I gather at this point, because I'm still currently in, um, a program, uh, with CAMH, which is an eight week program, um, that my initial, my initial getting to the hospital was really triggered by, uh, an incident that happened the week before. So I, my behavior was just really off. Um, I was just not feeling like myself. I was depressed. I was suicidal. Um, and I drank like so much alcohol, like uh, more alcohol than I've ever consumed in my life. And I've always been very like straight edge in terms of like drugs or drinking or anything like that. So I knew it's really out of character. Yeah, it was super out of character for me. And I was like, whoa, I actually, because I mean, I like the buzz of, you know, alcohol, but I don't drink it. Like maybe I'll have a drink once in a month. Um, so I, I never thought in my mind, oh, I have a problem with that. Like that never occurred to me. Um, but I was just having terrible feelings, terrible thoughts, um, just really like those self-loathing suicidal feelings. Yeah. And, um, I drank a lot of tequila. <laughs> to like, like on purpose, like yeah, to, dull, on purpose. to dull this. Yeah. I knew what I was doing. Like it was very like, I know what I'm doing. It, it felt very logical to me what I was doing. And that's really that's dangerous. So interesting. Wow. So I knew what I was doing and, um, I took over the counter medication and I combined it with alcohol and <laughs> were you thinking and this is very personal were you thinking at that time that you were trying to like knock yourself out like put yourself out or take yourself out of play in any way um absolutely yeah i i don't think i was like when i started to do it for sure when i was in it i don't even think i realized what i was doing i was just i was too drunk to even really know right. and i like but mixing I, it with the meds that that was something yeah. that was like a conscious decision like yeah i want more out of this sort of thing yeah i want more numbing i want more like space out vibe feeling Oops, my mic just went oh yeah i can hear you okay yeah. <laughs> oh no it's going it's gone again i can hear you totally cool so it's oh. it's this adapter somehow okay all right yeah now now i can <laughs> i can hear you and then i'm here there is that better yes okay yeah <laughs> sorry that's all right that's all right um these are voices you want to hear in your head you know so know that other people can ones. hear them too right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i can't even remember what i was saying you were talking about um going uh to an extreme it seems like to try and numb or dull some some pain that you were experiencing and oh, you were yeah. doing it in a, a pretty unhealthy, unhealthy way. Uh, and you were aware mm -hmm. that you were doing it in an unhealthy way mm -hmm. from the sounds of it. Yeah. Um, so in that time frame, I managed to bake a purple cake and eat the whole purple cake. Oh, so you were being destructive like across the board. Oh yeah, totally. And purple, um, like, was, is there significance to the purple part? No, it was oh, just okay. the cake. mix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. Like I'm old, and I'll, sometimes I'll it's get like, to that later. Maybe that means something. I'll get to that later. Um, but <laughs> so I consumed like the majority of that cake, and um, unfortunately, um, I was just so out of it. Like I didn't even like I can't even remember a hundred percent of the the whole situation. But um, my partner came home from work, and I was just. <laughs> purple all over <laughs> like it was just like gross like our bathroom right. was like covered and um i was sort of like lucid in and out and i he was like you need to go to bed like i know that you're like okay but you need to go to bed right now and just lay down like i didn't have alcohol poisoning or anything like that because i was continuously like vomiting up the alcohol because when he came home i knew what I had done because he told me and um I just felt really like ashamed embarrassed and terrible and like drunk sorry and just like 
not myself, not who I am as a person. And like, this is from what I've been told. Right. Um, so I went to bed and I slept it off and I was like, Oh my God, like that's the most like low I've ever hit in this relationship. And I don't want to break this, that this is what I have in my life. That is so important. And obviously like I am, I should be important to myself, but I'm not right now. So I'm going to use you as the, I need to get help kind of thing. Had you, had you done something like that in the past? No. Oh, okay, I mean, like okay. I had done like reckless, um, self-harming things, okay. but not, um, doing something and seeing somebody else like dramatically affected by of it course. in a moment and really feeling like, wow, that like, what the hell did I just do? Right. And, um, that was a good thing. Like it opened up a discussion and it was a good thing. It was a positive thing for our, our relationship. But at the same time, there was like this week that was kind of like, okay, you know, you're going to seek help. You're going to do that. And like, everything's going to be fine. And of course I did none of that. I didn't do anything to help myself. I didn't even go to the doctors. I didn't even book an appointment. Like, I mean, did, did you keep up with the sort of destructive um, I thought about it like every single day okay. and um, I bought sleeping medication and um, that was your plan. Yeah. Like I had plans to do it again right. and I, it's so easy too. like, I don't want to, to go in to, to numb a feeling is such an easy solution and it's such an accessible solution. And when you're just not in the right frame of mind, it's just, for me, it was just like, okay, I'm going to go solve my problem like that. Like, you know, I'll just get through this feeling of crappiness and like numb out for a bit and then come back and like everything will be fine. So were you on any prescription meds at this time as well? No, no you weren't. Okay. No. Um, so I knew that feeling was coming and that's what led me to, to go to the emergency room, um, at CAMH. Um, just knowing that I wanted to do that again. So what enough. was the final push that got, that got you there? Cause from the sounds of things it took, took some days. Um, I was in, I hadn't been able to actually go to my studio space at OCAD and I knew that the work that I was making was really strong and, um, I was proud of it, but um, I had put so much pressure on myself to make like this work bigger than what it was. And, you know, in hindsight, had I been well in my mind, I think I could have delivered some kick-ass work. Not that the work that, you know, even just sticking things in the show isn't an accomplishment, but, you know, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, if I had to taken care of myself that would have been a situation that could have gone better for me <laughs> is that a is that a phrase that you find yourself saying more um, like do you live in in a regretful kind of place i don't anymore that's good um because i put my stuff in the show and i did it and um if i hadn't have gone if like i didn't have like two people in my life to show up the night that, you know, the opening night of the show, I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have even put the stuff up there. Um, but I did do it. So the fact that I did do it is enough for me. Like I'm okay with that that's, now. That's really good. The reason I asked is as soon as I heard you say it, it's like, that's something I relate to. Like I go out of my way to sabotage good things in my life or opportunities yeah. in my life. I, I, I've got a list and then I just, uh, you know, I'll sit and I'll think about, you know, when I did, uh, when I lived in Hollywood and did improv. Oh, and, cool. Hollywood. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, that was really cool. Except for like, I, like I fucked around and didn't really, um, give it the attention that it deserved. And, mm -hmm. and here I am 15 years later still thinking about it like oh my god what could it have been you know like what what could i have accomplished and so when i heard you say that it was like i just know what a terrible feeling that is and i'm, I'm glad yeah. that's something that you haven't dealt with you know a lot but you did in this situation or you mm -hmm. have in this situation even though it sounds like now you've sort of reconciled with yourself 
Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, it's also hard because going through school, you don't always have the support or the understanding of everybody around you. So, I mean, also OCAD drawing and painting is very competitive. There's like a competitive edge to it. It's competitive to just like for people who don't know, this is a, a school that it's competitive to get into. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, they don't, you know, it's not just, uh, people applying and and getting in. Like you have to do, you have to show work to get in. Yeah. You you have to show a portfolio and do like, you know, a little interview and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. (laughs) So yeah, in that, that respect, it does like the name does carry some weight in the city and like amongst some art schools. Um, so like when you reach that like final year and, you know, you're going to be a part of this graduate show and you know that your work is going to go in there and you did a thesis and there are people around you who are doing amazing work and, you know, you, you're doing amazing work too, but you, you know that it could be better. And like you, that self-judgment for me, like kept coming in a lot, like, oh, it's not good enough. Oh, I need to be like picked up by a gout. Like my goals were so unrealistic, <laughs> like so completely unrealistic. And I think that part of the fault of that program is that it does in a sense set you up for failure a bit not to like bash the program no no it's just like that kind of mentality that kind of drive is like engraved in you because they want you to succeed and they want you to do well and even when I was going through the problems of not being able to be there all the time or do things and even before that when things were building up like I had people tell me like you know, you've been given so many opportunities and you're not taking them. And like, you're not. And I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, you know what? What, They were right. What kind of people were telling you that? Can I ask? Well, just like faculty talking amongst themselves and just like it's, but it's true. Like I was compared to other people, but I was also trying as well. And you're also sick. Yeah, no, but I was just about to say that. Like I, I look back on that and I'm like, I wasn't well. And there were times at OCAD when I did have like dips and um, I was fortunate enough to talk to um, faculty who were really understanding and who were like, yeah, you know, you can come to class and like, this is how we can modify the assignment and everything. So there are good people out there. Not everybody's going to be an amazing person, right? right? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like in that particular situation, because it was like the pinnacle of everything, just hearing and overhearing those things was difficult. And um, knowing that people thought my work was strong and knowing in myself that there was, you know, a strong element to my work, but it could have been pushed further. And I really didn't, feel like I did that because I feel like I wasn't well enough to do that at the time is frustrating. So there is an element of looking back on that and like the what if, but also trying to like give myself a bit of an out as well. Like I wasn't well. Right. And I'm still working on it. That's good. Those are good things. Yeah. Do you think that you would still, like even if you were well, would you have been hard on yourself? Do you think? Like are you you somebody who we talked earlier about the negative self-talk like to me a lot of what you're saying right now comes from like ruminating in that negative self-talk space you know Mm -hmm. um what ifing and and saying you know if only you had done this or if if you had done that like would that have been something that would have reared its head regardless is that I'm not asking this in the way that I want. I'm sorry. No, I I think I, I get if I had been like what I thought of as being the well version of myself right. or experienced in the past. Um, yes. I think that's really hard to say. I think I probably would have judged my work the same on the same level. Um, I would have been hard on myself. Um it's something that I struggle with, like that that negative talk, like that CBT, DBT, like sort of like rerouting your own yes. thinking and like figuring out like why you initially have that like burn reaction to like right. certain things, that judgment. Um, but it's hard for me to say because I feel like it's always been in me. I mean, to me, that says everything I need, yeah. I need to hear, right? We like, could end this right now. Yeah. No, oh, no, I don't mean, I don't <laughs> no, mean, I don't mean broadly speaking. I mean, 
in, in this particular regard. Yeah. Like it, it sounds like I, I can relate to this and I don't know if it's, um, I haven't talked to that many people that are in, you know, um, strict academic environments, but certainly the people that I've spoke to that, um, you know, sort of live in a creative milieu. It's like, they are so exceptionally hard on themselves because when something is subjective, like art, you know, mm-hmm. um, of any kind, you know, stand up comedy or, or painting or drawing or, you know, um, whatever they can be so, so hard on themselves because there is that space for that debate, you know, like in, yeah. in, in real life. So in mm-hmm. your head, it's magnified, you know, by, by so much. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back, you were treating yourself pretty poorly drinking and, and taking some medication. And you said that you had bought some sleeping pills Mm -hmm. Uh, and your partner, you know, suggested rest and was steering you toward getting some help. Mm -hmm. What was the final hurdle that got you there? Because you said the two or three days following that episode, you you didn't even make an appointment to do something. So what, what was ultimately that kick in the butt that got you to the emergency room at Cam H on college street? Um, I went back that Saturday to my studio space at OCAD and, um, I felt like I was just making paintings for the sake of making paintings and everything I was making was just like, to me, it was just garbage. It just wasn't working. It just like it. And I was just literally just like painting like mindlessly and I wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is like, why do like, I don't have to feel this way. I'm essentially making myself feel this way right now because I'm not doing anything about it. And, um, I called, um, my partner and I said like, you know, I feel like garbage right now and like nothing is working. Nothing is making me happy. I feel like I don't have any reason to not be happy. Really? Like, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way and it's frustrating me so much. And, I felt like I just wasn't in control of my own emotions. Like I was starting to cry and I was just like, Oh my God, like this is terrible. Like if I can't feel the way I want to feel, then like, what is the point of this? Like this, like in that whole, like those thoughts started to like reset in. And I was like, I already feel this coming. I know what's coming right now. Like I have like the stuff to go and just like numb out. So, I mean, I don't want to do this. And I love this person and, um, you know, they're so supportive and amazing. And, um, I'm fortunate to, to have the life that I have. So I, I went to Cam H and I just like, you know, sat in the emergency room and checked myself into the hospital and went through the whole process of that. You, you did you form yourself? Like, was it like, um, the 72 hour assessment sort of thing. And then, yeah. So it was like a 72 hour assessment. And then after the 72 hours, I was voluntary. Gotcha. Um, so I just like went in, they said they had a a bed available in the mood and anxiety, um, women's unit. And I agreed to take that bed. And initially I was told I'd only be there for like three days and three days turned into like weeks. And (laughs) oh wow, (laughs) yeah. So I didn't expect, I just thought, oh, I'm just going to be put back on medication. I'll check myself out of here. I'll be hooked up with somebody in the crisis clinic at the, you know, Queen Street location and like everything will be fine. And I'll just have those six sessions and then go to my GP and just have this medication for the rest of my life. And like, I was just thinking like, I can just solve all of my problems, like with my own head. Like, <laughs> so no, it doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a team of like incredibly smart, hopefully, and caring and empathetic people that, you know, sort of pull a plan together. Right. In that situation. I've been I've been through something yeah. similar. Um, but it is weird that, you know, when you're when you're staring it in the eye, you know, um, I, I went my I went to my psychiatrist and I was having a pretty bad day and she formed me, which meant. I got a ride to the hospital in a police car, um, which was like, 
whoa, this is so weird. And, you know, that ride to the hospital, mm-hmm. I was thinking very similar to what you're thinking. It's like, okay, when I get to the hospital, this is what I need to tell them. Uh, I need to tell them that I'm serious about my wellness and I'm going to, you know, do this and this and this. And they're going to shake my hand or give me a high five and say, congratulations, good work. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> Next thing I knew, they were electrocuting me and erasing my brain. So you know, <laughs> yeah. that's a story for another time. But but yeah, it's so weird that all of a sudden, you know, people like you and I were in social settings where we have no confidence, and then all of a sudden we're in this situation where we have all the confidence in the world that we can solve our own fucking problems. You know. <laughs> yeah. So so when the seventy two hours was up and you decided to be there voluntarily, mm-hmm. um. What was going through your mind then? Like, was that something that you were pleased about or upset about or stressed about, like, from a stigma perspective? Um, I had a really odd situation happen to me when I was on that unit. Um, And they felt because I was, like, at the verge of getting my degree and there was a lot at stake that they would allow me to attend classes, which was a bad idea. <laughs> wow. So yeah. you would, you would, you I were would allowed to, to leave the hospital, hospital and go to classes and then come back. And that was like a terrible, terrible <laughs> idea. Like it was just like, I don't know. How many hours, of, uh, like how many hours of class do, would you have a day? Um, I had thesis all Thursday. So um, part of being on that unit is that you agree to attend groups that are on that unit. Yep. Um so I wasn't getting the benefit essentially of the groups. I was just like, this was like a cool place for me to sleep or actually not. Yeah, so cool exactly. Yeah, exactly. You just get to sleep with these <laughs> in this weird narrow bed and eat shitty food. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 And a part of me didn't really want to like in hindsight engage in the group that much because I had a lot of anxiety around going and attending a group that was like labeled trauma group or a group that was labeled like, um, wellness group like or like I sat in on a few of them and I was like oh yeah like all these people seem like they they just like are answering out of a book or like I was really critical of every like the whole process of it I was just like this isn't for me like I mean I knew I needed to be there but I just I don't think I was ready to commit to it in a way like rerouting my thinking cbt or dbt is like actually something that's going to help me it it felt like pseudoscience to me in the moment right like i was telling myself that everything's gonna be okay like self-soothing and then just believe that thought (laughs) like right it'll be all right believe it (laughs) like (laughs) that's not what it is it's not what it is at all but that's all i could think about in that moment and i and like the situations in the groups were very like surface level. They were like, if you don't want to go to the movies with Johnny and you can't say no to, to going to the movies with Johnny, like what does that say about your boundary issues? Like, and I was just like, I'm not thinking about those fucking boundary issues right now. I'm thinking about the other ones in my life. Yes. Like, so it was just difficult for me. I think at that moment in my life to, to go through that process but also being given like all this freedom to just like fuck off from the hospital and not get treatment yeah you're just (laughs) yeah yeah it was kind of like counterproductive yeah it was building building more anxiety and more stress inside you and yeah yeah like the positive of it was that i was medicated um that you know i was safe to a certain degree and i was fed um but again, and like on occasion, I got to see like a therapist, but, you know, wasn't probably the right person for me to be seeing. But nonetheless, like that was the person I had at that time. And you can't always choose your doctor. Um, so, yeah, that was my my experience there. And then it just kind of got to this point where. I was so angry about the situation um, because they sent me to this GP appointment in the middle of the treatment. So I went all the way to like Young and Eglinton to see my GP and she was like, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm here to like give you the information about my hospital stay and just keep you updated about like my experience. And I'll probably be needing this medication when I come out of the hospital. And she's like, 
I don't have any of your paperwork from Cam H. They haven't contacted me. This is like a waste of like your time. Why are you here? <laughs> and I was just like, oh God, like, yeah. And then another group day wasted for me. So I went back to the hospital. I had like a hissy fit, <laughs> like a hissy fit. I mean, like I screamed, I cried. I did like the whole nine yards. And then that was also the day that I had um, orientation for um, the women's trauma group at CAMH. Um, so I had to be drugged up to go to that <laughs> because I was just like having like a meltdown and just was so pissed off at the whole entire thing. But I knew that I needed this other program, so I had to go. So I was sent there in like a taxi and then I just never came back to the hospital. And I called a nurse that I had really um, bonded with a lot on the unit. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm going to be back at like check-in time at like eight o'clock or whatever. And like the other nurse like came on the phone and she was like, so are you telling me that all of your suicidal tendencies and all of your like cutting and like everything has just like disappeared and like, you're fine now. And I'm like, these are all like triggering things, woman. <laughs> like, why are you Holy telling me this? Shit. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my God, it's only a few more days. I'm going to like collect my shit, go back to the hospital and just check out on like a good note. So you knew at that point how, how long your stay was going to be? Um, it was winding down to the end of my stay. Uh, so I had like a few days left um, before uh, we're having some technical difficulties here <laughs> folks I don't know what the hell that's it's just so sucks. nice to hear your voice in like <laughs> <laughs> can you hear now yeah n- right, no so this one must be yours right yeah now I can hear I can hear you now okay okay yeah so I knew that it was winding down um, because they told me that like, basically they couldn't really do anything more for me and that I wasn't attending groups, partially my fault, but also like partially their fault. Yeah. Cause, was, cause you were off work doing yeah, school. Yeah. So it, it sort of pissed me off in that moment because the, I felt like the excuse was kind of like, well, you're not getting any benefit out of this program, which is, was the truth. Right. But also like we gave you all this freedom just to like fuck with you a bit <laughs> so it, it kind of pissed me off it like royally pissed me off and then um my meds weren't 100 percent settled and there was a nurse who said you know if you don't feel like these are the right meds for you then you know really like come back to us and i was just like i'm not coming back here <laughs> you fucking nuts right oh man <laughs> yeah and so I was just like, all right, I'm going to hold on to this other program. But meanwhile, I was prescribed a medication um, called Seroquel um, that for me had the reaction of just like sleeping all day, just numbing out. Like I could take half a, a tablet of this stuff and it would just like make me sleep all day. And Did you try taking it at night instead? Did you switch yeah, up? Yeah. Because um, it was originally for sleep. And for anxiety. So when yeah. I felt really anxious, like I was just supposed to go to it because it's like really quick reactive. Yeah. And um, I take it too. <laughs> yeah. Or I have taken it. Yeah. And two days after that, like my, I went and I go and I got my medication and everything. I was just like, oh, I could use this. I could just take all of this right now. Yeah, like a, as, a, as an out. Yeah. 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 And I was just like. Back to square one. Yeah, I, I, hear, I hear that. But you know, when they ask me like what my plan is, I'm I'm always like, well, let's eat all my pills. You know, like, do you have a plan? They'll say. So just for those of you out there that don't know, sometimes they'll say, are you experiencing suicidal thoughts? And if you respond yes, they want to get more specific with you. So they will say, do you have a plan? You know, and mm-hmm. at that point you can say yes or no, and they react accordingly. Um, and then there's one if you say you do have a plan, have you acted on it? And you know, these are important things to distinguish because clearly, you know, their goal is to make sure that you're there the next time they want to see you. Um, so yeah, sorry. That's just for those, those Mm -hmm. at home. Um, 
so you had a similar thought to, to what I've, I've thought, which is just, you know, I've got access to this thing that could yeah. end it, end it for me. And what's at the risk of sounding like a complete harsh asshole. Like what, what, what held you back? Well, I was living with someone and I mean, I think when you have supportive people around you or you have like a family and, um, you understand, like, I mean, I was still feeling like crap and behaving like crap. Um, but just knowing that there are people around you who are affected by you and your behavior and just how you are, even if you're with them in a moment and you're not present, at least you're with them. You know what I mean? Like the trying to like, I guess, redirect your thought in a way to, to realize that, you know, your behavior has consequences, not just for yourself, but for other people. And, um, that's hard. That's really hard because there's a lot of like guilt that can come with that. And there's a lot of like frustration too, I think, um, when you're trying to work through your own issues and you're trying to, you know, make a really shitty feeling go away. And it's good to have those people around you, but it's also good to take yourself out of that situation at certain points, I think. And I know that now. I know that for sure. So I want to know a little bit more about this group that you're in. I think mm-hmm. you said you're in it now, right? Like you went from... Yeah, I'm at the halfway point. <laughs> right, okay. So, so it's, it's a eight-week four program. four weeks. Four weeks. And looking back, what, what do you think about the four weeks that you've experienced so far? Um, I'm so grateful that I have a place to go every day. I'm so grateful that I'm in a room full of people and I can tolerate sitting in a room full of people. Um and feel okay about it, feel okay that we're talking about difficult things um, like trauma, like past experiences and knowing that I'm not alone in those moments. And um, there are times when I judge myself, but knowing that I'm not being judged by those people, that's a really great feeling. Um, that I wish I could just can I mention take this before? With you. Yeah, <laughs> forever and ever. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> please this program like for the rest of my life. <laughs> well, I mean, there are a lot of programs out there. Yeah, we, were t- yeah. we, were, we were talking about yeah. this earlier as well, but it's so tough to get access to them. You know, absolutely. So um, you've got four more weeks of this program, mm-hmm. and I mean, here's here, you know. Is it a program that you will start it together or is it staggered, staggered uh, entrance and exits? Um, So initially how the program started was there was a group of people um, and then some people teetered off either for whatever reason. And then um, by week two, they usually replace those people. Um, My group is actually really small. um, So... By the halfway point, which is like after this week, they're going to introduce more people so they can, it is like a bit of a staggered program. But um, in the beginning, it wasn't meant to be like that. It just was because some of the people decided it it wasn't the right fit for them. So they were just accommodating people who were on the waiting list because it's a really long waiting list. And the only reason why I got access to this program was because I begged for it when I was in the hospital. Like, I mean, I begged for it. Um, otherwise I was going to be coming out of cam H with just medication. And I knew that that was not okay for me, like to just come out of that situation and have nothing but like a GP essentially, which was all I would have. So it was really important to me even like leading up to, you know, getting into the bed and like being on the unit, I was thinking to myself, okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to need something after this. Like if this is, they're telling me it's a temporary stay, I'm going to need something. Like a soft landing. You yeah. can't just, you can't just, yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's like the unfortunate thing I think about some of the 
the programs there that like the the great thing is that they exist yep. and that people can use them the the downfall is the waiting list and you know the time yeah that, and, and and the advocacy right like i mean we're sick you know yeah. you're you're sick and you had to be an advocate for yourself to get into that program yeah like that's like i mean the work that it that it entails to like find these programs and then get into them in a timely fashion is, you know, is mind blowing the, the work that you have to put in. Oftentimes we hear people say, well, you know, like if, um, you know, mental illness, we need to treat it the same way we would treat it if we had some sort of a broken bone or cancer or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the amount of advocacy that you would have to do if you had a broken bone isn't much. You would go to the hospital and they would give you painkillers and they would put a cast on you and they would, yeah. <laughs> you know, check to see if the bone was setting the week later. But, but yeah. in this case, you're, you're, you know, your brain isn't working correctly or the way you want it to work. And you have to like, you, you can't get out of bed, but you have to like go before somebody and tell them, them exactly what you need. Yes. Because if you don't know what you need, they can't help you. That's it. And that's time and time again, like what I've been told. Well, okay, I understand you need help, but what is it you need? And I don't know what I need all the time. <laughs> like my Me head neither. is like all over the place right now. Like I, I can't tell you. And that's so frustrating because you know you need help, but you don't know how someone can help you. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't agree with you more. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, going into these things, you know, you just think of yourself as so individualistic and, and nobody else is feeling what I'm feeling. And I don't want to say you feel like sorry for yourself because it's not that, but you're, you're just so overwhelmed by it all, you mm -hmm. know? And then to hear somebody else saying, I fucking can't handle this either. Yeah. It's such a, a great feeling to just know that you're not alone it is a really actually a beneficial thing because it just gets you even to like talk to people which is what you need i think what everyone needs to feel connected to somebody at the end of the day right and if you're already like isolating yourself or you know going home to like nothing or just feeling bad in general it's just nice to have those moments of connecting with people. And I think that's so important in like this whole process for like anybody going through any kind of mental health process, feeling connected and feeling understood is so important. What would you say to somebody that is where you were a year ago? Sorry, what was the question? Well, I just wonder what you might say to somebody who was where you were I said a year ago, but I don't even mean that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you took a really big step that week that you, you know, were very hard on yourself and you were, you were being harmful and, uh, you ended up at the end of that week at, at the hospital. Mm -hmm. What, what might you say to yourself in that situation? You know, as you, as you picked up that first glass of tequila or. Or do you have, you know, have you, have you thought about that kind of thing? Um, I feel like with these, with these, <laughs> I feel like mental health for each person is so different. Each person experience is so individual, knowing their own thoughts, what's going through their mind. Like that's so personal, um, to try and even understand somebody else who's gone through like a similar situation and be like, Oh yeah, I get that. I can relate to that. I can re relate to experiences, but I can't relate to the thoughts in your mind because they're yours. And that's, um, that's difficult to kind of like deal with for myself too, because I find that, you know, I want to, like, I look at people who are going through really difficult situations, you know, just on, like, the hospital campus, and I'm like, 
I would just, I, I feel like somebody should just tell this person that they should do this or like they should just, they need help. Like, why is nobody doing anything? Like, I, I feel that and it frustrates me to the core, but I don't understand the complexities of, you know, their experience, whether they've already sought treatment, what, you know, the, the parameters are for somebody who's contemplating ending their life. Um, you know, I would definitely say that obviously there's hope for you, um, that it's a lot of work. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to feel pain and get up every day. And it's a choice too. And, um, that sounds harsh, but I think it's the truth. I think people try and, you know, sugarcoat it and be like, oh, you know, like everything's going to be fine. Just like go and seek treatment and like life's going to be great. And I think that's a bullshit answer. (laughs) You know, life is shitty and sometimes you got to live through the shitty, but the shitty makes you stronger eventually. And maybe your knowledge, like the knowledge that you have from your experiences can help somebody else just like make it through and you know the five minute rule like make it through that next five minutes that next you know 10 minutes that next half hour that next hour like it it there's hope at the end of the tunnel but it's really hard it's really hard i i don't know what to say yeah that's great great. um i think we'll wrap it on that like i think that's you know, unless there's something else you want to share. Like, no, no. Like, I think that I was... hope that wasn't like burn. <laughs> How do you mean? No, I just, I don't want that to be, you know, a negative stance on it because I think that there is a positive element to it, but I feel like that there's always this, like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. And that's not necessarily the truth. And I mean, it's hard to to come to terms with that I think like it's hard for me to come to terms with that to know that there are certain things about me that won't be the same or that you know this is just going to be the way it is but it's how I manage it it's really up to me how things go for myself in the future and that's really difficult to come to terms with like I mean and I'm speaking from like halfway in a program. So like, I'm sure I'm a little raw, <laughs> but it, it, I just feel like that's, I don't know. That's my belief. Anyways, that's, that's the truth for me right and, now. And I think that's, I think that's, you know, an important, an important thing to, to come to realize and, and come to understand, right? Like yeah, you've written, you know, your sort of um, mantra, you know, and that's what it is. It's like, you've got to manage, you've got to manage this, this sickness probably for ever. I mean, and it's going to be a lot of work. That's what I take from what you just said. I don't take anything negative from what you just said. I I take it that you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the, it's almost like the, you know, the parent that is telling their child who's struggling in a class, like, you know, everything's going to be fine. I'll go talk to your teacher or whatever. Well, well, no, like you're going to have to like, if it's math, you're going to have to do flashcards and you're going to have to put in an hour of work every day to mm-hmm. get better at that. I'm simplifying it to a dumb, dumb, dumb degree, <laughs> no, it's but it's like, that's what it is. It's like, you've got to do the fucking work. And if you're yeah. not prepared to do the work and you're not prepared to to um, look this beast in the eye and and not cower, mm-hmm. you know, from it, it it's going to be a, a long, a long road. And that's, that's unfortunate. And I think um, I'm really pleased that, that you were able to come out today and, and, and feel comfortable enough to share what you shared. And my hope is that somebody somewhere is listening to this and it, you know, was a light bulb for them and they might, you know, um, not pour that drink tonight to numb that pain and they might yeah. get on the phone and, and talk to somebody that can help them and take that first step. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing and, you know, opening up. 
It's Thank not you for easy doing do. this podcast. Well, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, no. This is, yeah, this is amazing. And I think it, it is going to help a lot of people and help people want to seek resources and, and better themselves. Yeah. Dynamite. So that was my sit down with Emma Moore. I'm glad you joined us and I hope you found it as insightful and encouraging as I found it. Emma has a real handle on, on her illness and you know, the truth that she spoke at the end of the episode, uh, at the end of the interview, rather, I thought was, um, just bang on very poignant and and that's her truth and i'm so glad she got the opportunity to speak it uh thanks for coming out today and thanks again to our sponsor the review cinema talk to you soon a show of strength is a movement where i try to encourage courage you can find out more by visiting www dot a show of strength dot com you can subscribe rate and review a show of strength at apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts tweet me at a show of strength or send me an email at a show of strength at icloud dot com 